Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In today's episode, my guest talks about aligning the revenue organization to accelerate growth through the buyer's journey and goes into great detail why this is of critical importance today. My next guest is a fractional chief revenue officer helping organizations of all sizes fix revenue problems by aligning teams to their buyer's profiles. He has spent his career inside all areas of the revenue organization from marketing to sales, operations, customer experience, and now he helps companies accelerate growth. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Ed Porter. Hello. Hello, everyone. Thanks, Janice, for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. Now, the first thing I wanted to ask you was about aligning the revenue organization to create growth through your buyer's journey. This is what I read in your profile. I thought I really need to get Ed on the podcast. So talk to me more about that. Sure. So there's there's two parts to that that I put in there intentionally. One is alignment, which is a word that I think it's tossed around pretty loosely. And then the second is buyer's journey. And the, the thought here is kind of flipping the process. So in a selling process, it's very easy for a company to say, we want to take customers down this cycle and move them from point A to point B to point C. And while that's okay, that may not follow exactly what the buyer wants. And I think the more aware that marketers and sellers can be that the buying process may very well be different, even within the same ideal customer profile, within the same industry, I think that journey is is morphing and you know that's going to continue to morph the more the different people that are in different roles. So I think the buyer's journey is really important to think about of knowing that a, having a selling process is important, but it is just a foundation and it needs to have room for deviation. So the other part to that is alignment. And while this does get tossed around a lot, it is a word that I use regularly and frequently when explaining problems or relating to problems, because it's pretty easy to know when you have silos in your department, or at least conceptually, you can start to see, yeah, marketing's on their own and sales is on their own and product development and customer success are all on their own. So it's easy to identify. Well, I'm relating this to silo is the opposite of alignment. So if we know that silos exist, so how do we bridge that gap? How do we build the alignment? And it starts a little bit with getting the teams integrated and working together, but it also involves a lot of partnering. And that's where the, the kind of the proof is in the pudding there. So how do you align these teams? That's the hard part. There's no one size fits all. There's no silver bullet, but it does involve conversations and it involves conversations from the people leading these teams to start challenging them to 
work together or to partner together or to come up with joint plans or to integrate their teams with each other. That's where it all starts. And then eventually the fluidity of the planning starts to morph into now you have people thinking about, hey, what will sales think about this new change? Or, hey, should we let marketing know that this set of customers is seeing a lot of good results when we implement this feature? So that's the filter that you want to have happen in each of these departments. And that's going to really start to show if your teams are aligned or not. So those that's kind of a little bit about those two words intentionally of what I really gravitate to is alignment and then understanding the buyer's journey and how the two work together. As a, a fractional CRO, do you, um, is your experience that this is one of the key problems that there isn't alignment through the organization? I would say this is always a problem. And the irony in this is every client that I've had will come to me and say, I have a sales problem. Nine out of 10 times, it's not a sales problem. It's actually a marketing or a customer success problem. And it's usually has to do with those two aren't talking. Those two team teams tend to be the farthest apart and sales is stuck in the middle. So when there's the partnership between customer success and marketing isn't there, sales is left to create their own content or to create their own problems that they think customers are solving. And there's no fault of sales as they're trying to do what, what you can, but ultimately it presents an either an inconsistent approach. You start to see sales cycles all over the place and your average deal sizes start to falter as a result. So when somebody says I have a sales problem where I'm not either not growing fast enough or I don't know how to get to that next level. I'm at this mark of 10 million and I need to get to 50. A lot of these things come in where I have a sales problem. And then we go down this path and we start to say, you really don't, you just don't have a partnership and, and your teams aren't aligned. You're operating in silos. Your customer success team is very reactive. They're triaging support requests and checklisting implementation. And they're not really making implementation and onboarding strategic. They're not taking that data on customers and problems that they're solving and taking that back into marketing to produce the content, to go find the buyers that look like that. And marketing isn't handing that information off to sales so they can use it in the process. So it often becomes this circular issue of all of these different departments. Now we can even throw in revenue operations, which is another team that is continuing to prove a lot more valid, a lot more strategic and a lot more of a necessary to really understand the data that your company is seeing. So I talk about all these departments because in a, in a chief revenue officer, which is another area that I'm really passionate about is often these CRO titles don't own everything that they should. They should own the full buyer life cycle. If they only own sales, they're limited. If they only own sales and marketing, they're limited. If they don't own customer success or experience or service or whatever you want to call it. They don't own the full buyer life cycle. And that's really one of the things to go in that I go into organizations to say, who owns this? Who's the one throat to choke on a customer? And maybe it's the CEO and that's okay for a certain size of company. But once you grow, that's, that's where you start to make sure that those leaders are integrated to really keep that cycle going of, are we focused on the buyer? Are we understanding the journey? And are we solving problems that we're saying we're that we solve in the marketing and sales channels? This is fascinating. I love you for, thank you for uh, bringing this up. I, it's very rare that you see someone talking about the link between marketing and sales success. And you're right, there are, 
opposite ends, aren't they? And so it's, you know, quite a long journey to actually find your, your way back. And then the other point that you made that I'd like to pick up on is um, CROs are often not um, concerned with the sales success because that, and, and the other thing is in terms of the outcome, the outcome is sales. So sales is always the problem, but actually, and I totally agree, it's often not sales is the problem. I'm, I, I'm not a traditional uh, sales trainer or coach. I talk about customer centricity of the organization and, and scale yourselves is all about linking and aligning and co-creating through the organization to make sure that it works in the buyer's interest rather in the seller's interest. So I absolutely love what you say. So I'm really interested to delve deeper into this because this is, I think, quite a unique perspective that needs highlighting even further. Why is it that sales success is not part of that discussion? You know, I don't really have the answer as to why. I, 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 what I see is there's just, there's a lot of differences and this can be, you know, we're people, right? People are unique. They have different belief sets and different experiences. And it's not about right and wrong. It's just about the openness to change and the willingness to be better. So when you start thinking about this, it's, you know, the, the why of why it's broken is more so it could be simply unaware. And it's not like a CEO, just because you're a founder or a CEO, you don't know everything. And the fact the people who admit that they don't know everything and the ones that they hire the people that do, that's the, that's the merit of a great leader. So a lot of that is, there's just, you don't know what you don't know. And it just need, you just need somebody kind of throwing an opinion your way. And again, it's more of like ideas are worth nothing execution is worth everything. So it's, it's really about taking these different ideas and trying to figure out what works in your company with your customer base, with your product or service. I don't believe there's a silver bullet in anything, but there's a lot of experts out there talking about this is the best way to get open rates and reply rates. And this is, the, you know, cold call isn't dead and email is, is dead and all of these. And, and while I think there's merit in a lot of these, but it doesn't mean that that's that's the, the one size fits all approach. So when it comes down to these, these opportunities is it's more so how do you take an opportunity and how do you turn it into something? So when you look at this separation between customer success and marketing, it could very well be that customer success is a lagging initiative that is somebody that's there to make sure that a customer gets trained properly and that they're up and going and then they move on. And it becomes more of a reactive department of triaging or support or somebody has a problem. And it's really difficult to kind of think about what happens during onboarding. What, there's a checklist a little bit of let's make sure that you know, everybody's set up properly. Let's make sure the training happens. But then what happens after that? Is there, hey, you don't hear from me until you need me? Um, or how does that product adoption get going? How does the usage get going? Are they... Are they using the product and then getting the results that sales said they, they were going to get? Where's that check and balance? And a lot of it, it's just more thoughtful of we're trying to take care within limited resources. We're trying to take care of customers and get them up and going. And then I'm reusing those people to go do it again. Mm -hmm. And that's they're, they're continuing to do it. So it gets pretty easy into a tunnel vision of 
I have a team of people that are trying to work through an assembly line, if you will, because the CEO or the person owning it has other fires to go to go after. And that's why there's it's really no shame in it. It's just a matter of how do you continue to move the needle and invest more in it? And in fact, this was back in in April, early April, there was a post that um, that I interviewed somebody that's prominent in the customer success world, Jeff Heckler. And he I had him author an, a blog article. And we kind of talked about what does this investment ratio look like? How much should you invest in customer service as compared to sales and marketing or into company revenue? And you know, there's we don't know, there's no real, you know, magic bullet, but you know, even I was like, do you do you make it one for one? If you have five sellers, do you then have five customer success? Do you then have to double that? Is it 10 customer success people and five sellers? And a lot of that can be looked at to say, well, what functions are they are they tackling? Are they tackling onboarding? Are they tackling business reviews? Are you how how much data do you have on the inception and adoption of product? And how are you getting the data to ascertain if that product or service is helping? And it all becomes this injectable conversation to say, are you doing the business reviews? How are you conducting them? And then looking at these metrics, it's easy to look at what, what Jeff and I kind of agree on as a lagging indicator of NRR, of um, looking at that as an output, but then what are the indicators of that? And it's looking at what's the contribution to revenue that's coming from existing customers. If you look at a $10 million a year company, how much is coming in through new business versus retained business? And as you grow, the, the, the tides start to turn and customer success owns a bigger piece of that pie. So how do you continue to get to 98, 99% retention and then even go above that when you're looking at net and retained revenue and you start to say, can we now cross sell and upsell and look at multiple products and increase the wallet share? How can we then look at those metrics that can improve our, our revenue and ultimately customer success is gonna be owning that. Yeah. So th there's a lot of interesting things coming as, as more thought and strategy is put into building a world-class customer success organization and how much revenue really is responsible in that world. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, you've brought up several, again, several interesting <laughs> um, points. I often find when I go into organization, uh, for whatever historic reasons, or just the idea of how we think businesses run, that the focus is on, on acquisition, net new logos. And so the whole operation, the investment in the operation is geared toward down that line. And so the lagging aspect of it, the um, sell success is kind of a bit of an afterthought. Well, we need to do a bit of that to keep our customers happy. So there's not a real investment in that aspect. But actually, in scale yourselves, we focus on retention and acquisition because you can double your revenues when you focus. So it's moving all the analysis to the feedback of the existing customers and retrofitting how you can fine tune your organization to make sure that you, you accelerate and grow your existing customers. And it's a lot cheaper and less cost and all of these things. So... The fact that I don't know if you would agree with me that a lot of organization, the focus is the way that they've structured the organization is on acquisition. And so that's why marketing 
often doesn't have the link to customer success because the whole organization's focus is around more around acquisition that is on retention. I think the easy assumption to make here is that if you look at the type of company, so if you're VC backed or PE backed or you're raising money, there's automatically a pressure, right? So what gets talked about in board meetings? Revenue. So you start to say how much money and emphasis is being put onto customer acquisition. And if you can blow that out of the water and start bringing in a ton of new revenue, there, there's, you know, there, that's a good way to grow a business. Where you mentioned kind of the afterthought is, is, is on that, you know, are they, are they leaving at the end? And, and that takes a lot longer, especially in a SaaS business where you're looking at annual contracts or potentially two-year contracts where when you're presenting in quarterly board meetings, you're always looking at the top line where you don't have enough time to bake out what's happening or what's leaving at the end. So again, the, the focus also becomes if you've got a sales team of 10, then I should be able to bring some kind of number. Each rep maybe brings two deals a month, five deals a month, depending on how big your product is. So that's, that's represents, you're, you're recognizing ARR at the time of that deal. So it's easy to recognize revenue once for the next 12 months. So when you start looking at timing, companies scale quickly or grow quickly or should be growing quickly, especially if they're back. So that's where that, that focus is. It's easy to say, like, we got venture backing. We now ha have this mission to go get new revenue and recognize that ARR because we can recognize it. And we basically got 12 months to figure it out or 24 months, depending on the term of the contract. So that's step one. But I did see the other day um, on this conversation of, um, of NRR that somebody threw a comment in there that he's starting to see boards and VCs really look at this revenue retention or retained revenue metric a little bit more, that it's not just about new acquisition. And I believe that's great. I, I believe that's a great way to start looking at the big picture while also understanding that the inputs need to be there. You need to have a good process to go out and get more market share, but also at least that's having a seat at the table. And now it's being discussed at the higher level to say, well, what happens when we sell somebody? And the more focus and attention that can be on that ultimately should shape a better, a better company, a better product that has better renewable customers. That also creates an avenue for companies to develop more products and services and sell to that captive audience of existing customers. So theoretically, the big picture seems to make sense. And as long as boards and VCs continue to have that be a slide on the, on the review deck to be able to look at those things and then also to look at the inputs of what goes into NRR numbers, now we've got this focus still on new customer acquisition, but also at the table is how are we retaining or, um, or growing existing revenue? Okay. So I think that that's the helpful part. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you uh, about um, the operations, sales operations, and all of the analytics, because I think that this might actually this might help to ensure that we're looking at the the metrics behind um, NNR. Um, sorry, NRR. And um, what's your view? Is that changing the focus uh, or not? 
is it becoming its own little silo of you know analytics and numbers and it's not really filtering through to the go-to-market and the, the focus of the the organization so i think this is another part of focus you know this is a point that i want to i want to talk a little bit about of the, what's the focus of an organization and that's that's the hard part and i'll kind of talk a little bit about some of the different customers that i work with and the focus is everywhere and then it's you know there, you want to have a very wide plan but then how do you start incrementally working towards that and start building these these smaller action items that align to the bigger picture so when you start talking about focus of an organization and where is the focus I almost think that's a little bit of a misnomer because the focus should be on everything, quite frankly. But when you start putting into action, what do you prioritize? And focus doesn't mean ignore. So if you're focusing on one thing, it doesn't mean ignore something else. It just is really kind of from a priority perspective. So I guess that's the first thing that I kind of just want to share is my belief of how, how companies can start architecting these things. But the other part is also the people. I've I've seen not only companies that I've worked for, but also clients, it's 50-50 it's in this case, which is you have leaders that are trying to do everything. And not that they're micromanaging per se, but that they've come from different levels and they, they have that knowledge and they have that insight. And it's tough to rely or, or delegate that to other people. So when you get to that point, whether you're a CEO or a, you know, a frontline manager, second line leader, that really kind of shows the how do you focus, but also delegate. So as a, as a CEO, you're driven to do other things. But if you're spending your time in the business and not on the business, that can be that can be problematic. And the same thing trickles down. So the other part of enabling focus is to make sure that the leaders in the organization are are trained properly and are empowered to make those decisions. And that's hard. It's hard for people to let go. I've been guilty of this as, as a manager. It's very hard for me to let go of certain things. But then on the other end, it's very hard to <clears throat> help give that person what they need without you know, feeling like I'm not paying attention to you, where it's, Janice, I, what do you think? What would you do? So if I can't give you the clarity and direction, can you go do this? And, and it's less about whether I think it's the right thing or not, but it's more about, I'm sure there's going to be some thought and reason behind why you're doing it. So the more that that empowerment can happen and the more that your team, you can rely on your team to carry out certain things, that al allows that focus to be to be aligned at each of those different layers of, of leaders. And that's that's one of the beauties that I feel in, in building teams and especially in aligning teams is getting these leaders all on the same page, but also working together and knowing that the bottleneck shouldn't exist at the CEO. That shouldn't be the, if it is, then there's <clears throat> there's some things that need to be worked out. So I hope that answers it. I no, know it I kind does, of dove a little leads... bit off on a tangent. No, 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 I part. love that because it leads me to an, another question. We're switching it up a little bit. You're talking about empowerment and um, the uh, we talk a lot about diversity in sales on the, the podcast. So I'm really keen to get your perspective in terms of empowering a diverse team and whether you think that um, in B2B sales that, it has 
uh, it's diverse enough and reflective enough of its audience, the buyers and customers, and what you would, um, what your expectation or the impact is. Yeah, sure. I, I look at diversity in a very in the highest level possible, which is thinking unlike my own, and that is very broad. So I'm very much a subscriber to groupthink. Yes, you can go down a rabbit hole, but also I believe the best ideas are created in groups of people and not individually. So in this aspiration to build diverse perspective, I'm very much as a person. I'm very inquisitive. I like to learn. I like to ask questions. I try to go seek information and, and that's just who I am. Not everybody's like that and that's okay. But when I look at that in terms of what I'm trying to seek is I'm trying to seek both data and opinion because I don't believe data tells the whole story. It's a good part of it. But what often gets done is the causation and correlation. And a lot of data and research doesn't go into that, but the audience is left to their own devices to make that causation or make that leap to say, oh, if I use more than four words in the subject, I'm not going to get a reply. That's not at all what it's saying. So a lot of this gets dispelled. So when we start looking at diversity in terms of belief, it's diversity in terms of ideas and bringing different ideas in perspective. I'm only one person. I will always say, I don't have all the right answers every time. I will debate and I like debating, but I'm not debating to be right. I'm debating to try and find a, the best solution or to open my eyes to other scenarios. So now we look at diversity in terms of what are we looking for? Different perspective. How do you get different perspective? Easy. You can look to different areas of experience. You can look at age, gender, race, religion, cultural belief. All of these different things go into diverse thinking. And why I believe that's so important is, again, if we focus this on your buyer, who's your buyer? Your buyer isn't one standard. We can very easily create a buyer persona or an ideal customer profile, and that's fine, but that's no different than profiling. But So there's that's one type, but that type can be expanded. So if I, if I know that I'm attracting to a wide audience, people are in positions and people are buying your products and services. Why wouldn't I want to appeal to every person on the planet? So in order to do that, you need every person on the planet or the different beliefs and belief structures and environments to be able to generate those perspectives, because it's often less about one right answer and more, more about multiple right answers. And how do we incorporate these? So again, I subscribe to this groupthink mentality. I believe that the best decisions happen in groups and debate through productive conflict. But then when you start looking at, and do I want to debate with only 40-year-old white men? Well, if I do, I'm probably only going to get one perspective. Or I could get a couple if you know somebody came from poverty and somebody came from wealth. There's some different perspectives there, but still, I'm, I'm limited in, in the age as well as the gender. So why wouldn't I go wider and, and get the same belief? Why, do, why, why wouldn't I go look at other, at other areas to try and just diversify the, the perspective and what people think. So that's my, I guess, overly simplistic, but often very high level belief in diversity, in diversity in thinking and relating that to your buyer. Why not build a team that has those perspectives that you can go attract every type of buyer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Thank you for that. So yeah. just last wrap up question um, to you, Ed. If you're on a desert island on your own, what's the one thing you take with you? Yes. Yeah, so this, I love these questions. 
Um, mine is I would take a genie who could grant me unlimited wishes. <laughs> so the irony in all of this is obviously we're making up questions. And I always, when I was a kid, that was kind of the question people asked is, if a genie could grant you three wishes, what would they be? And people would say three things. Well, my brain went to, well, I would ask for unlimited wishes. That would be number one. Now I, now the, the sky is the limit. So, so, so there we go. And, and why I went that route for this question is I, when creativity and, and being outgoing and social, I think are in some cases one and the same. I grew up in grade school, every report card that every teacher ever wrote about me said, Ed socializes too much. And this was always a problem. And now I'm turning that into what I do for a living, whether it's on social platforms or whether it's just going to events and talking to people. But I'm also driven by interaction. And I like interaction because interaction really often spawns ideas. This is how I've gotten aligned to different things that I'm passionate about in my life is getting exposed to it. So why I would take the genie and have unlimited wishes is because, great, now I have an opportunity to, to build a better world. And what does that mean? Well, the first thing is going to be, I need to talk to people. Like one of those wishes would be, I want to talk to people from like the 1800s. I want to talk to Abraham Lincoln. I want to talk to Gandhi. I want to talk to, you know, whoever, all of these people just to understand pitfalls of humanity, successes of humanity. Now I get to rebuild a world, but I get to rebuild it with other people. So, um, that's kind of where that that came from and a little bit on my journey of inquisition of inquiry and understanding and asking questions. So I'm, I'm very much that kind of person. I absolutely love that because it shows us a lot about your personality, but also it's like, why didn't I think of that answer? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> It's the back-end way to the answer. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's fantastic. So uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Ed. Thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Yourselves podcast. But before I leave, tell listeners how they can get hold of you. Yes. my First is my website, Blue Chip CRO. I, I'm putting more content on there and putting more ideas in my head on paper and getting it out there a lot more. So feel free to subscribe to the newsletter. I'm getting a lot better with that. And then I'm I'm all over LinkedIn. So Ed Porter, you can search me or pull up my company and you can find the people and, uh, and connect with me. But what I would ask, and I'm very critical about this, um, I have a hashtag that's going now, which is called Lazy Likers. So I want social platforms to be engaging and people to comment. So when you connect with people, put a note in there. How did you hear about me? Tell me you heard me through Janice. Tell me you heard me through the podcast here. That gives me a great frame of reference. But also, what is it that's interesting about me? Why do you want to connect with me? I'm, I like trying to really understand that why. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm all over it. Blue Chip CRO is my company as fractional chief revenue officer. A lot of contents on there. So those are the two best ways. Excellent. Thank you for sharing your great knowledge. I really appreciate it, Ed. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks, Janice. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.